Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They knew something that most of us can't possibly know, and that's exactly what God had planned and purposed for their child. But I would like to suggest the fact that we don't know exactly what God wants to do with our little boys and girls, we know this. He wants us to be in prayer for them. Today we start a new message from Pastor Sam that he has entitled The Birth and Mission of John. We're going to finish up chapter 1 of the book of Luke and we'll be taking up in verse 57 here in part 1 today. Now our focus will be the birth of John the Baptist, his circumcision, and the prophecy of Zacharias, his father. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're picking up at verse 57. We're concluding the chapter title of our study this morning, The Birth and mission of John. Luke 1, 57, we read, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled immediately. His mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Earlier on in chapter 1, John's dad, Zacharias, had had an angelic visitation. And in that visitation, the angel had told Zacharias that his prayer was heard and he was going to bring forth the son. Actually, his wife, Elizabeth, would bring forth the son because that's how it works. But then he went on to say, you will call his name John. And he began to lay out his nature and his character, the power in which he would operate. As, as he said, he would be great in the sight of the Lord and, and he would be sober minded and sober entirely. That he would operate in the spirit and power of Elijah, that great miracle worker of the Old Testament. And so they, after waiting for decades and decades for a child, well, now they're gifted and blessed with the promise of a baby. Well, nine months has gone by, and that's where we pick up here. But in the process, there are some very practical things that, well, we want to consider together this morning. First of all, they knew something that most of us can't possibly know, and that's exactly what God had planned and purposed for their child. But I would like to suggest the fact that we don't know exactly what God wants to do with our little boys and girls. We know this. 
He wants us to be in prayer for them. He wants us to be examples to them. He wants us to be teaching them and preparing them for the work of ministry that he's already planned for them. The only difference with Zacharias and Elizabeth is they knew exactly what God was intending to do through John. And I'm wondering if God actually did send someone to tell us, here's my plan for your son or your daughter. For those of you who have kids, I realize not all of you do, not all, all of you will. But uh, the bottom line is most of you will or do. And the fact, again, that we don't know exactly what God's plan is for them. We know he wants them to be people of character, of integrity, people that know him. So here's my suggestion. If you don't have kids yet, pray for them. That's what Zacharias was doing. Now, I realize he was praying that he could have a child miraculously. But if you do have children, pray for them. Why? Because they are in need of a miraculous birth as much as they were in need of the physical birth. Unless a man, and this would include those kids when they grow up, or a woman be born again, they'll never see the kingdom of heaven. In fact, if you have little girls, you're probably already hip to this and doing it. You should be praying now for those little girls' future husbands because, you know, they're going to be married to your little precious daughter. And uh, same deal going the other way. Well, my point in all of this is just to say that, that here's a couple they married young in those days. Girls usually early teens, guys mid or late teens or early 20s. But, but it's, it was a very you know, young situation. And then these guys would have gone for decades because they're older now, past the age of childbearing. And they get the news. Your prayer is heard. You're gonna have a child. Your prayer is answered. You're going to raise a child and you're gonna name him John. Well, again, the, circumstance, the circumstances surrounding his birth, they're going to provide us with a series of very practical and applicable lessons. First of those is though Zacharias and Elizabeth were grieved over their inability to bear a child, it made them, in the words of Warren Wiersbe, who I highly recommend as a writer, an author, a commentator, Write that name or log it, Warren Wearsby. Their trial made them better, not bitter. And, and, and that's one of the things he points out. And he does a great job at taking difficult situations and saying, here's the essence of them. God intends trials. He entrusts us with trials. And we know from James and from Peter, trials will demonstrate if our faith is genuine Trials will help us grow in our faith. Trials will be a demonstrate to others, demonstration to others that we have real faith. But the point here, my first point of a few, is that these guys chose to trust the Lord and demonstrate their faith in the Lord by praying for God to do the impossible. And some of us will find ourselves, most of us will find ourselves in situations where we realize unless the Lord comes through, man, we're done. Unless the Lord comes through, this will never happen. That's exactly where the Lord brought them. Now, our God is, and you're aware of this if you're a Bible student, 
Our God is a miracle working God. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he uses trials and tribulations and these kinds of situations to teach us to trust him and to prepare us to better represent him. Romans 8, 28, always been one of my favorite verses, if you're allowed to have one, and I'm pretty sure you are. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who are called uh, according to his purposes. So important, that word all, all things working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Why is the word also important? Because so many of my trials and tribulations have been the direct result of my own stupidity. The direct result of me knowing better and doing it anyway. Or thinking but not, well, still speaking. And, and for many of us, it's been like that. We find ourselves in desperate situations because we make serious, you know, bad decisions and choices. But if all things work together for good because we love God and we're called according to his purposes, he's saying even those situations that we have brought about by our own sin, he is going to turn it around and make good of it. Does that mean there won't be any consequence? Of course not. We always suffer when we sin and others suffer when we sin. The other issue is even if you don't sin and cause stress for yourself and your family and your, your loved ones, well, others will sin against you. And, and eventually you find yourself in the similar situation, but for a different reason. The point is, God wants you to trust him in the midst of the trial. That's what they did. They demonstrated that trust by praying for God to do the impossible. Now, imagine the gratitude they felt. Imagine how their hearts were overwhelmed with joy at even hearing she was pregnant and nine months goes by and the child is born and all of the community comes to celebrate with them. Why? The scripture says weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's exactly what was taking place. We're told it was all Judea. Uh, the whole neighborhood and neighboring communities were aware that God had moved miraculously in the midst of this family. Well, the second thing is our faith and God's faithfulness testify to those who witness our trials and blessings. And again, that's exactly what we see. They saw that these guys were trusting in the Lord and they saw that that faith was rewarded by the Lord. The third thing is obedience to God's commands is the key to both spiritual prosperity and physical safety. Spiritual prosperity, here's how it worked for them. Circumcision for the nation of Israel was not a physical issue. Oh, there's definitely a physical component to it. But the issue wasn't really physical. It was spiritual. It was a seal of a covenant God had made with Abraham, the father of the faith. It begins in Genesis 12, where he meets with him and promises some things to him. He confirms them in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 17, he tells Abraham, hey, here's what I want from you. And by the way, up to this point, God said, I will and I will and I will and I will and I will. The covenant was unconditional. 
In other words, God was going to do what he promised no matter what Abraham did. And then he gave Abraham something he could actually do. He says, I want you to circumcise every male child. And he says, they shall be circumcised in the flesh of their foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Then he tells them, I want you to do it. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So what we see in, in Luke 1, this latter part is just, well, them obeying God's command to circumcise the child on the eighth day. Now, again, for them, it's a spiritual issue. It is a symbol and a sign, a seal that these parents are dedicated to raising their child in the Lord. Did the circumcision guarantee the child would grow up and serve the Lord? Of course not. How could it? How could anything you do outwardly, especially one thing you do to a child who, well, I'm not saying an eight day year old, an eight day uh, old child doesn't realize, hey, something just happened, but he can't really process what's going on completely. And, and, and so the point is, it was an outward acknowledgement. Lord, we're going to obey you. We're going to raise our kids the way you tell us to. And that would be the vehicle through which God would raise up the next generation. Now, we know today because we're living in different days, there are physical health aspects, not just related to circumcision itself, but circumcising on the eighth day. Here in America, it's no longer an issue because, well, th that agent that causes the blood to clot and make sure that this procedure is safe. Well, we know that we can just uh, give the kid a shot and, and give it to him. But in, in those days and in many places in the world today, it just turns out the eighth day is the perfect day. You do it too soon, the blood may not clot, and you could have an issue with bleeding. If you do it too late, well, there are other issues. But, but the deal is God gave them both a spiritual picture and physical uh, you know, safety if they would just obey his word. Well, the fourth thing, and these are, to me at least, very practical and foundational, they're in the midst of a trial. They've been enduring it for decades. Finally, the child is, is uh, given to them. The fourth thing that we can glean from this and learn from this is that God provides us with something that, well, when I was growing up, it was called common sense. I think today we would call it uncommon wisdom because it turns out that most people that we interact with, I mean, well, Maybe that's a generalization that's unfair, but I interact with an awful lot of people and I find so many lack common sense. Just, you know, that, that well, you understand. I, I think we're famous for electing people uh, of that persuasion and, and on both sides of the aisle. I'm not picking on one or the other. It's just common sense says, if you're broke, stop spending. But, you know, that's not how our politicians do it. And, uh, Sadly, that's not how all of us operated either, is it? I mean, it's kind of fun to blame them, but we need to look back and think, well, were we broke and still charging? Because they're just like us, you see. So common sense or what we would call biblically uncommon wisdom is based on God's revelation, on God's word, on the truth, those things that never change, that are the same because he's the same. Now, if we're in the word and the word's in us, we're going to have this uncommon 
wisdom. And, and, and every thought, every word, every action should be tested by the scripture. So I know if what I'm doing is biblical and pleasing to the Lord or if what I'm doing is just something, well, we've always done it. There's an issue that comes up. It pits tradition against revelation. And, and it's simple, and you might look at it and think, well, no big deal, but it, it sort of lays a foundation for things we all wrestle with. By the way, traditions can be wonderful things. I mean, we have some in our family, not as many as other families, but, but there are things we do every year around Christmas time. There are things we do every year as we get together and other holidays, and, and you have those as well. Now, if there's no biblical basis for the tradition, that doesn't make the tradition bad. As long as the tradition isn't contrary to the scripture. If there is a biblical basis for the tradition, there's still an issue. And that is we want to make sure we're not just going through the motions. And we'll see how important that is in the uh, words of our Lord in just a moment. So, so here's the issue. Tradition says you name your children after dad or granddad or great granddad. And, and so they come, they're rejoicing. Eight days go by. Remember, Dad, Zacharias, has been very quiet for the last nine months. Why? Because he spoke words of unbelief and God says, I'm not going to hear another word out of you until these things are fulfilled. Now they've been fulfilled, but he still hasn't spoken yet. So what happens is they say, as they're there for the circumcision, well, let's name him Zacharias. That's his dad's name. Good name, Zacharias. And, and his mom says, no, we're not naming him Zacharias. We're going to name him John. And they begin to argue with mom. They say, hey, wait a minute. There isn't even a John in the family. I mean, what are you talking about? And they, and this is so crazy to me. They disregard her, the woman who just gave birth miraculously in her older age to this child and says, we're naming him John. And they turn to the guy who can't speak because he's walking in unbelief. And they're like, what do you say we should do? And he says, you know, I say nothing because I can't talk. And, uh, and it just reminds us that there is, even for them, and, and certainly in our culture, it continues, sadly, that, that oftentimes people are disregarded because their opinion is deemed, for whatever reason, less important or inferior or not to be trusted. Hey, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And I would encourage you, fellas, if you've been fortunate enough to find a gal willing to marry you and she's sticking with you, that, that you want to, to really, you know, value her opinions. Does that make you less of a leader? No, it just makes you more of a godly leader. That you realize she sees things you don't see. She has understanding you don't have. And, and God will still hold you accountable and responsible to be the head of your household and the leader of your family and the servant to all. But man, treasure the wisdom that, that you have from your wife. Now, these two were actually united, and that's always a good thing. It wasn't like they weren't connecting on this. No, they absolutely were 
both committed to the same reality. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. They wanted to name the kid, the neighbors, the friends, the family. They wanted to name him after his dad. I went through this, by the way. My dad's name, his full name was Samuel Thomas Allen. He named me Samuel Thomas Allen Jr. And when our firstborn Nathan came along, my dad was so bummed when we wouldn't name him Samuel Thomas Allen III. Now, for us, this was real simple. It wasn't disrespect to my dad. I married a gal named Pam. We didn't want to be Sam, Sam, and Pam. It's just, you know, said, that's dad. We're not going to do that. And he was so bummed out. It was like the end of the world. Hey, we're not the, it's not the end of the family line, just the end of our name. You know, maybe our kids will name their kids Sam, but they don't. You know, we named our first Nathan and then we, uh, you know, came to our second. I wanted to name our second child Jesse. I love that name. I know some of you named your boys that and, and, uh, and there's, it's one of those names, some guys, some gals. But the point is, I love that name, but we'd already picked out the middle name and agreed on it. And that was James. And Pam was like, there's no way we're naming our kid Jesse James. And I'm like, nobody's studying history anymore anyway. What difference does it make? And, and by the way, if you're unaware, if you're in an argument about what you're going to uh, name your child, the woman almost always wins. I, I can't explain it to you, but she gets her way. Interesting thing now with our little Joshua, who's grown up and already given birth to his first son. He named him Elijah. We thought that's awesome. The prophet of the Old Testament, he said, they're ready to have another one in a couple months. They said, we're going to name him Luke. And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, hey, I, I, that's a wonderful biblical name. He says, there is some bad news, Dad. I'm like, what? And he goes, well, I think we're going to have to drop the last name. And I dropped, I said, what? He's not going to be Luke Allen? He said, no, no, he's going to be Luke Skywalker. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I know he's kidding, right? I'm praying he's kidding. If you know Josh, uh, you can't be sure. And so I'm a little bit like him. It's where he got it. So I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm cool with that as long as you name him Luke Skywalker, Texas Ranger. And uh, <laughs> that works for me. But again, their issue here is a serious one because it pits tradition against revelation. The tradition was we name our kids after dad. The revelation was you're going to name him John. We'll see a little later how important that is. But they decide they're going to obey the Lord. And that's always the right thing to do. If tradition is pitted against revelation, you got to go with God's revelation. Now, at one point, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and scribes and, and, and they come and they say, why don't your disciples walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. As you read it, if you don't have a knowledge of the background, it sounds like a hygiene issue. They're like, man, your disciples are grossing us out. They're eating and they're not washing. But that wasn't it at all. It had to do with the ceremonial type of washing that they were all engaged in and, and all proud of. God didn't require it, by the way. This wasn't something that God said, I want you to wash in this way and, and you know, go through this process and make sure everybody notices it because, man, that really makes you look spiritual to people. And here was Jesus' response. He goes, these people honor, you know, they uh, honor me with their lips. Actually, he says, well, did Isaiah speak of you hypocrites? saying this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
So, so here's the, the issue from the, the lips of our Lord. It's not, is the tradition itself good or bad, but why are we doing what we're doing? Students of the Old Testament are very much aware of how steeped in tradition the Jews were. But if you look at many of those traditions, they're reminders. Many times they're reminders of something that God had already done or reminders of something that God had promised them. Now, why do we need to be reminded of these things? Well, listen to David's lament in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now, we know the end of the story for David, and we know that God had not forgotten him. He was not alone in his sorrow, and his enemies would not long be exalted over him. But I think David had forgotten that. And we too need to be constantly reminded of what God has already done for us, and to be reminded of his faithfulness to fulfill the promises that we have in him. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.